Thank you, praise team. What a great time of worship. Hebrews chapter 13, if you have your Bible. Hebrews 13, we continue our worship in the Word. Hebrews 13. While you're turning and before we pray, let me remind you of something I talked about a couple of weeks ago. I dealt with the revival of evangelism, and uh, we had a, a service that morning that we really focused on equipping for uh, sharing the gospel with others. Uh, everyone who came received a New Testament. Uh, while we were in uh, that message time that morning, we wrote down some verses, and we can use those verses as a guide to share the gospel with people. And so uh, uh, I uh, challenge you that day to take that New Testament with you and in the month of February, speak to someone about the gospel and take them uh, through the gospel presentation using that New Testament, praying for the Lord to speak to their hearts and then uh, invite them to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, I want to keep that before us because it's easy for us to kind of get excited about that on one Sunday and maybe the week following, and then we forget about it. So I want to keep that before us this month that we're to be engaging people with the gospel. So if you don't know anyone at this point in your life that you can go share with, pray, ask the Lord to open that door so you can go and share the gospel with that person. Many of us have people in our lives, neighbors, friends, coworkers, people that our kids have activities with, and you can share with them. So just pray for the Lord to help you to be bold and just start sharing. And the Holy Spirit's going to take over. You'll just trust Him. He'll take over to help us be the witnesses that He has um, called us to be. So please do that. Now, the very first week, I had two of our men uh, call me and text me and let me know that they had the honor of leading someone to faith in Jesus. One of those men is here today. He'll be baptized, I think, next week. So we'll praise the Lord for that. Just, come on now, get a good clap going. <laughs> that was weak. And then uh, I said to you that what I wanna, want you to do, if you would, is let me know what's happening in your witnessing encounters. So let me know uh, what kind of encounters you're having, because we want to sort of highlight these events. Uh, one of our Connect Group leaders, Caleb Duncan, uh, shared with me last week that in there, they kind of went around asking who had, you know, just to share about who has been doing their gospel conversations, and there were eight uh, gospel conversations that members of that Connect Group had with people uh, that week. So you know, praise the Lord for that. We're, we're sharing the gospel. People are already coming to Christ. Let's continue to do that. Let's don't forget to share the gospel. Uh, we need to make that a, a lifestyle for us. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you now and ask you that you would please bless this time. I pray you'll fill this room with your presence. I pray you'll take away distractions. I ask you to captivate our attention. I pray you'd give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. I ask you, Lord God, to give me power because I cannot do this on my own. I pray for clarity of mind and clarity of speech and liberty in delivering the Word of God with compassion and conviction, with convincing. I ask you, Lord, to help me speak with authority that comes from you. And I pray that you will open our hearts and minds to receive this Word. May the church be edified. May Christians... Lord, grow up in the Lord because of this truth, and may lost people be saved today. And I commit this time to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Now, if you're a guest here today, thank you for being here. We're so honored that you would be a part of one of our services. 
We have been studying through the book of Hebrews for some time now. We started about a year ago, and we worked our way through to a summer break and took a break there, and then uh, in August picked back up, went to Thanksgiving, and then had a break for Christmas series. The month of January, I felt like there were some uh, subjects the Lord had placed on my heart to, to preach on, so I did that. Now we're coming back to our study of the book of Hebrews. We finished up chapter 12 last week, verses 25 through 29. Now we're going to move into chapter 13, and we'll finish out this study this month, Lord willing, and then we'll move on then to the next subject the Lord would have us study uh, as a church family. The letter of Hebrews is rich with theology, doctrine. It has incredibly picturesque language that the Spirit of God and inspired this writer to write down. And let me say to you that theology and doctrine is not just simply to inform the mind, it is to transform the life. And that's what teaching is meant to do. And so God reveals Himself in the Word of God through that special revelation. Uh, he uh, helps us understand how to live as Christians. He helps us again to understand things about Him to help us to have a closer, more intimate relationship with Him. And so we're not to simply just inform the mind, we're to apply this truth so our lives are transformed. God means us to be not just hearers of the Word, but doers, James chapter 1 says. And so we're to apply this, and as we apply the Word of truth, we obey it, then our lives are transformed more into the image of Christ. We mature. It is in those moments of submission to God to do His will that the, the Spirit of God fills us, enabling us to fulfill that and live that out. So we are meant to apply the Scriptures. Now, the book of Hebrews is like a sermon. Matter of fact, some scholars believe that originally it was a sermon. Some feel like it was the Apostle Paul who preached it originally, and maybe someone like Luke, inspired by the Spirit, wrote it down. Uh, others believe it was Paul. Others believe it was somebody else who wrote it down. We don't know for absolute certain. We do know it's part of the canon of Holy Scripture. And whomever the human author was, it was the Spirit of God that inspired him to write it down. And so just like at a sermon, at the end of a sermon, we want to have some application. We want to be able to take away and apply what we've heard in the Word of God. And that's what's happening here. Chapter 13 really is sort of an application time uh, for what's been said. So let's take a look at these first six verses as we begin to work our way through this final chapter of this great letter. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, and those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, the main idea of this message is serve God by loving the family of God and being content. 
serve God by loving the family of God and being content. That's what's being taught here in these verses. Now, remember, last week in chapter 12, verses 25 through 29, there's a summary there of what the writer had been communicating the entire letter. Remember, the original recipients of this letter were Christians. They were ethnic Jews who had believed that Jesus is the Messiah. They had repented and received Christ. They had been born again. They were following Jesus, and now they were facing a large level of persecution and opposition And so because of that, some of them were considering no longer going on with Christ. Matter of fact, some of them had even stopped assembling and gathering together as the people of God uh, because of fear and the persecution of the culture around them. They were under duress. And so the Holy Spirit inspired this writer to write this letter down, send it to them to encourage them to stay faithful. One thing he did is he, through the Spirit of God, he encourage them to stay faithful by magnifying the supremacy of Christ. He let them know that, look, Jesus is greater than Judaism. Jesus is greater than the Old Covenant. He's superior to the Old Covenant. But not only that, he also impressed upon this fact that Jesus is greater than everyone or anything. Matter of fact, in the first three verses of this letter, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we have that famous prologue. And in that prologue, there are several things that the writer says about the Lord Jesus. First, he says he is the Son of God. Then he says he is the heir of all things, which means that he owns everything, all the universe, everything that exists, no matter where it is in any dimension, he is over it all. He is heir of all things. He is also creator. The Word of God says that through Him the worlds were made. He is also the exhibition of the glory of God. He is also the expressed image of the person of God. What you see in Jesus is what you see in God. He is sustainer. He upholds all things by the Word of His power. Everything exists and continues on because He is sustainer. He also saves from sin. He is our Savior, and He is sovereign. The Word of God says that He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is a place of authority and sovereignty. Listen, there is nothing or no one greater than Jesus. And He is certainly greater than the Old Covenant. Matter of fact, the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system and tabernacle and all those things, priesthood, all pointed to Jesus. He's greater than the angels, the writer of Hebrews says. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the tabernacle. He's greater than the sacrificial system. He's greater than Aaron and the priesthood. He is the ultimate sacrifice, and he is also the great high priest. He has made the way for folks to be forgiven of sin and to have a personal relationship with the one true God, to enter into the very presence of God, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 tells us, and, and also uh, Hebrews 2.17 says, Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost all that come to God through Him. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 says that He is the author of eternal life to all who obey Him. 
So the writer not only magnifies the supremacy of Christ to encourage them to stay faithful to Him, but they also, he also warns them. And he gives a series of severe warnings through the book of Hebrews to stay faithful and go on with the Lord. In our verses we studied last week, we find two things that the Word of God teaches us there. One is, do not refuse to obey the Lord. That's the first thing we talked about last week in that text, beginning there in verse 25. And then in verse 28 and 29, we find a second truth, and that second truth is that we are to serve the Lord because we're receiving an unshakable kingdom. So what we find here is in verse 28, if you'll look with me in chapter 12, it's going to help us get the context of today's message, but look what verse 28 says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So we're to serve God acceptably or pleasingly with reverence, awe, and godly fear. Now, chapter 13 begins to help us understand how to serve Him. Now, all the New Testament does that too. But these verses are immediate application for them and these are going to be marks that they're serving God. Now, there are five things I want to show you from these six verses. The first four have to do with an expression of love, and the last one tells us what not to love. So let's take a look at these. First of all, the first thing he says to them, applying this great masterful truth, this masterpiece of doctrine, is this. Keep on loving the family of God. Now think about that for a minute. We've just had this incredible 12 chapters of exalting Christ. He's the great high priest. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is greater than all. There's all these severe warnings. Don't, don't back away from following Him or you're going to miss that rest, you're going to remiss that, that deeper life. And so you, you don't need to back away. And then the first point of application, we might expect something else other than what he says. He says, let brotherly love continue. Let family love continue among the people of God. You see how important love is? Why do you think that the that I believe the Spirit of God is so pressing me to speak on biblical love. And after all of that, the first thing that's said is love each other continually with family love. That's essential. Now, put yourself in the state of these early Christians. They're, they're being bombarded with all types of persecution. They need the love of the brethren. They need the encouragement of being loved by the body of Christ. And so we need to understand what it means to love biblically. That's what I'm going to talk about here in a few weeks, Lord willing. Because I, I really believe that we don't understand that at times. We, I, don't think we, I think we're missing what it truly means to love someone in a biblical manner. We need to, we need to learn that. Because I'm going to tell you what I've learned about myself over the years. And I think it's true of 
uh, of all human beings, we're inherently selfish. We are inherently prideful. And we make everything about us so often. And because of that, we're going to have a hard time sometimes loving the way we're called to. And we have to choose to do so. That's why the Bible says love never fails. Because it's not a feeling, it is a choice. And so the people of God are to love each other with a family love. There's a necessity for us to do that. Matter of fact, the very first fruit of the Spirit that is listed for us in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And it gives eight other attributes of and evidence of the Holy Spirit and what He produces in the life of a believer. It's love. It's biblical love. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 John, which the purpose of 1 John is to give assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. That's the purpose of the book of 1 John. Then he gives evidences of what a true Christian life looks like. And one of the strong assurances that a person is saved is if we love our brothers and sisters. That's the evidence of being saved. It's a primary practice that the New Testament instructs the people of God to do. And it's called the Christian walk. That's how Paul calls the Christian life in the book of Ephesians. It's called a walk. It's the Greek word peripateo. It means to conduct life. Ephesians 4.2 says one of the ways in which we're to conduct life is to walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 says that. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14 speaks of this. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, above all things have fervent love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins, a multitude of offenses. Paul prayed for the church at Philippi to increase in love. Paul prayed for the church at Thessalonica to increase and abound in love for each other and for all, the Scripture says. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 tells us that the atmosphere in which the church grows is an atmosphere of love. That's the seedbed to cultivate. It's the, um, it, it is the, the bed in which uh, true Christians grow out of. You know, some people are, they like these, I can't even think what you call them now, but you have these, um, these, these, uh, Beds have this dirt and all your peat moss and all that kind of stuff in there, you know, and you grow vegetables in it. Well, I'm going to tell you the place in which Christians are grown is in, a, is in a place where they're planted in a congregation filled with love. They grow up in the Lord. When we are loving one another, we're encouraging one another, we're building each other up, and, and then we're also united together in the mission and that's why the enemy works hard at disrupting the love of believers because he can hinder growth and he can hinder the mission. When we allow, when we allow that, to, that lack of love to tear at the very union of brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are to love. Now, the Bible speaks of that agape love, which is the love of choice, that, that biblical love of choice. Now, uh, in this context... He uses a different word, the Greek word Philadelphia. You know, the city of Philadelphia is named, is called the city of brotherly love. This Philadelphia is a compound word in the original language. Phila means tender affection, 
Delphia means either brother or kinsman. So it means to have tender affection toward a brother or a kinsman. And this speaks of a deep family love, a deep love of friendship within the church. Paul taught Timothy to treat older men like fathers, older women like mothers, younger men like brothers, younger women like sisters, and he said, with all purity. So what he's doing is he's describing the body of Christ as a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're adopted into the family of God. And we're to love each other with a family love. We are to love one another with a perfect love. Now, we're going to struggle with that while we're here. But in the eternal kingdom, we're going to love with perfection. Our fellowship will be unhindered by the things that hinder us here. But the Lord Jesus taught His disciples to pray this, Your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. That means by the power of God's Spirit, we should be living as closely as earthly possible in the power of the Spirit here as we will one day there. And so we are to go to war against our sin. We are to cultivate obedience within our lives. Sometimes when we think of love, we think of simply just not doing certain things to a person, but it also means we should do things to a person. There's kindness and there's long-suffering, and we can go on and on, and we'll talk about that when we get into that, that series. I'll tell you this. Not to love as we're called to love is a travesty among the people of God. It is, it is a travesty because we cannot obey Him if we're not loving as we, as we should. We're going to hinder our sanctification. We're going to hinder our mission. We're not to show partiality. We do that sometimes. There are some people we like and some people we don't like in the body of Christ. And sometimes it, it just shows. We'll show great favoritism toward one and not the other. We'll barely give one the time of day and we'll make all over the other one, you know, and all this. And, and, and we'll go the extra mile for one and not the other. And the fact is that's showing partiality. That's not, it's not Christian love. We're to show humility and gentleness toward one another. We're to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We are not to allow offenses to tear the union of brothers and sisters, as I said a moment ago. Our sanctification will be hindered if we do not learn to love biblically. And the Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Notice that, giving preference to one another. There's where our selfishness and where our pride sometimes hinders us from doing that. We're to give preference to others. We're to encourage them and value and esteem them more highly than ourselves, the book of Romans teaches us also. Now, when I think of the body of Christ here, I think of you with great love and affection. But can we just be honest? There's going to be times that love's going to be tested. Is that true? Have we had those situations with one another at times in the body of Christ where we're that's tested. And the enemy always wants us to respond in a way that is not loving in a biblical manner. And we must not allow that to happen. We're, we're responsible for that. 
So what the Word of God teaches us here is if we're going to serve God acceptably, then we must love each other with a family love. Cultivate that in the body of Christ. Well, the second thing that he says here is, and this also goes into this idea of love as part of a biblical love, we're to show hospitality to others. Now, look with me in verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Do not forget to entertain strangers. What's that? It's hospitality. That's what he's talking about there. Now, in the first verse, he's talking about loving those you know in the body of Christ. And now, the second verse, he's telling us how to love people even we don't know. And probably the original context here is there was the thought of how uh, in those days there was not many places to lodge, not many you know hotels or inns, this kind of thing. And those that, 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 that were were usually filled with immorality, a lot of nefarious things going on in those locations was not a good place to be. And so what they would do is Christians would open up their homes to house other believers. And so maybe a, maybe a missionary is coming through, someone taking or doing something, some ministry aspect coming through, and so they would be able to stay. Christians open up their homes, they stay there. The Didache tells us, which is an early ministry manual, that three days should be the limit that they stay. They should never ask for money. And so that's how you would tell a false teacher from, a, from a, the real deal is if they tried to take advantage of you. And so there were some stipulations that were, that were placed on that. Now, that can still happen today in other places, even here at times. I was sharing this with the last service, but Dr. Sean Bias, who attends here during the week, uh, and often teaches uh, for us on Wednesday night, and he's, he's preached for me in here. He, he is, uh, of course, one of the executive vice presidents at BUF, and he is over the um, Clearwater campus of BUF. And so he has to go down there, and he'll stay a you know, week or two or this kind of thing. And there's a, a member of Calvary Baptist Church who is a widower, is a, a, an older gentleman whose wife has died, and uh, when... Dr. Bice is down there. He stays with that guy. That guy's opened his home up, kind of gives him free reign to, to do that. And so that, that's an aspect of, of uh, hospitality. Now, here's a way that you and I can show that too, and that is uh, people we don't know in, in our own church family, invite them over for dinner, have a time where we just fellowship over a meal, we get to know each other, because what that begins to do is it makes those persons feel a part of the, of the family helps them begin to connect in a deeper way to the body of Christ. And so we're, we're extending Christian friendship to them in that way. Last night, uh, we went to um, uh, Terry and Paula Ellis' house. They had the, their connect group had uh, senior adult ladies age 65 and up that were widowed or single. So uh, the Pletchers were there. Brother Dave and I stopped in there for a few minutes, and it was, it was just fun. You know, just a lot of fun. They were having a great time eating some good food. I tested the food to make sure it was safe for all of our senior adult ladies. I just wanted to take care of them. That's what I was doing. But it, so it's a great time. So they've opened their home up and, and have all, all those ladies in there, their connect group, just all that whole group coming together to show Christian hospitality, to just encourage one another 
in that time. And I believe if you were there last night, is there anyone that was there last night? I see uh, neither Miss Ruth, you all there last night, and probably others in here. Uh, that's a good time, it seemed to me like. They had a good time. Uh, Miss Ann was there. Uh, not that she's old enough. She doesn't make the cut. She's still too young to be there. But, but uh, it was just good Christian hospitality. Now, here's something that's interesting. The Word of God here says that some have entertained angels by doing this. What's that all about? That probably goes back to Genesis chapter 18 and 19 where Abraham, there's three men that come to Abraham and he has Sarah fix a meal for them. They have fellowship. And, and so it ends up being the pre-incarnate Christ and two angels. And so he entertained angels. That could have happened to some of us at some time. And we might have felt impressed to minister to someone, help them with a need, but never seen that person before, maybe never seen him again. Maybe it was even a test. It was God testing us in those areas. And there's a principle Donald Guthrie says that's taught with that, and that is that it's better for us to assume guests are angels and to act accordingly rather than risk treating worthy people in an unworthy way. So one way to serve God is to show hospitality to the body of Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 that we're to be given to hospitality. Now you can imagine how important that would be in the first century when that church was under such persecution to, to help people get connected and ministered to through that time of hospitality. <clears throat> A third thing we see here is remember those suffering for the gospel. Look at verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Now, the prisoners referred to here are talking about Christians who have been imprisoned, probably because of their stand for Christ. Chapter 10 deals with this already. They were already ministering to some that had been in prison, again, probably because, uh, simply because of their faith in Christ. They were falsely accused of something in prison, or they could have lost all their livelihood because of their uh, fact that they followed Jesus. Now, in the Jewish world, you might be cut completely off from your family if you abandon Judaism. So, so they may have had no livelihood anymore, and they couldn't pay their debts, and now they're in prison because of it. But what he's saying here is don't forget them. Minister to them. Go to them. Encourage them. Build them up. They can't connect with the body so let the body go to them to a certain degree and connect with them and encourage them. Because sometimes out of sight means out of mind. Isn't that what the old saying says? And that's true. So how does that apply to us? Well, in some parts of the world, you got the same thing going on that was going on there in the first century. Christians being in prison simply because they're Christians. But now I thought of this aspect this past week, and that is sometimes it's those in our body who can't gather anymore. They can't get here. They're, they're shut in. They're in a nursing home. They're, it's impossible for them to get here, and it's incumbent upon us to connect with them. And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'll think about how long it's been since I've seen a certain person. I'll get ashamed about it because, <clears throat> you know, when, the, when, you're, when they're out of sight, sometimes you just forget. You think it was three weeks ago when you saw them. It might be a year ago. I'm thankful for those in our church that minister to those who can't, who can't get here, who can't get out, 
who go to the nursing homes and minister to them. It's very important to connect with them in that way. And I'm going to tell you something. All these kinds of things honor the Lord, encourage each other, and it's also a powerful witness to those outside the body of Christ. Because I'll tell you what, our love for each other is a powerful witness to those around us. They don't understand it sometimes. And it shows the presence of God among us. First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 12 teaches us. It's the way that God's presence is manifested, the way we care for and love each other. So we need to remember that. The fourth thing we see here in this text is, if we're going to serve God, then we need to honor marriage with fidelity. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Christians who serve God acceptably or pleasingly should cultivate their marriages. We're instructed to do it. We should not neglect our marriages. We should cultivate them. And then we should also abstain from acts of adultery. The Word of God teaches us. Now, do you know that doing that is an act of fulfilling the law to love others? Y'all with me? Y'all do your head like that if y'all with me. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another. What do I owe you? To love you. What do you owe me? To love me. What do we owe each other? To love each other. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The Lord said, there are two commandments, love God, love others. And all the law hang on those. Everything we see in Scripture is a fulfillment of those two basic major commands. And so, if you love, then don't commit adultery. If you love, then don't murder. If you love, then don't steal. Now, those are things you don't do. But then there are things we are to do, as I said earlier. And we'll get to those, the kindness, the bearing with each other, all of those kinds of things that we'll talk about. The Scripture says that marriage is honorable among all. That word honorable means to respect, to hold in high esteem. So that's what we should do. Now, let's just be honest with ourselves today. Sometimes, even in the church, we don't hold marriage in high esteem, do we? But we must. Scripture says that we are to honor marriage. Now, to love one another in marriage is not simply just a benefit for spouses. Stephanie loving me and me loving Stephanie is not just a benefit to each other, which it is. We love one another deeply. But also, it has a greater and wider impact, as does all of our marriages. The way we love each other 
can set an example for those in the body of Christ and be a witness to those in the community. And when we're cultivating healthy marriages, it makes a difference. And when we disregard that and we don't cultivate that, then it can have an effect on the body of Christ and also the witness of Christ around us. So marriage should not be neglected. It should not be disregarded. It should not be redefined. It is not to be dishonored. Now, in our culture today, we're dishonoring marriage in many ways, and one that I need to address, and I will do so with grace because it needs to be addressed. Many times we don't talk about this in, our, in the church today because we're afraid we're going to offend people, and my intent is not to offend, it's not to be um, hateful. That's what we're often accused of if we speak on God's design for sexuality and marriage. We're often belittled and, and slandered and attacked. And, and, uh, and, and so because of it, many have caved on great, clear teaching from Scripture that everyone needs to know, and we're not better off for it. And, and, and the people who are, that we love dearly who are involved in those things are not better off because we compromise the truth of God. So let me just walk us through what God's Word says about marriage so we're clear on some of these things, and I do so with, with grace in my heart. God made marriage, and that's why it's to be honored. That's why we respect it, hold it in high esteem. And the Word of God tells us what God did to make marriage. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 says uh, very clearly, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They become one flesh. Now, one flesh speaks of the physical sexual union. That's the most basic meaning of what that is. Now, it, it um, implies other things in the marriage uh, relationship, but it, it, that's where it starts. And so the Bible teaches us that a biblical sexuality is a man and a woman married. Any expression of sexuality outside of that is rebellion against God's design, and it is sin. And the Word of God tells us in one place like 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 that those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they're living as though they're unsaved. It can be reasonably thought that those persons are not truly saved because of the practice of their, of their lives. So God's design for marriage is, again, man and a woman, and that's when there is the physical relationship. Now, the Lord Jesus, sometimes people will say, well, Jesus never said that. Well, He did. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, he substantiated God's design for marriage. He quoted Genesis 2, 24, and even went on to say, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so that is God's design for marriage. Man and a woman, and it's meant to be a permanent relationship. And so he goes on to say here, But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, fornicators speaks of someone that's guilty of sexual sin. They have misused sex, and now it is being done outside of God's design. 
What's God's design? Man, woman, married. That's God's design. So anything outside of that then is sin, and it's the sin of fornication or immorality. That covers it all. It's what immorality covers. Now, adulterers, we know that's someone who breaks the one flesh vow. Donald Guthrie says that human beings were not meant for sexual immorality. They were not. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 8 goes on to say that if we reject this, we do not reject man, but we reject God. So marriage between a man and a woman is to be honored. And marriage between a man and a woman should be the only definition of marriage. Now, in our culture today, we've been hearing a lot about this. If you follow Christian social media to any degree, you've seen a lot of this here lately talked about, about, you know, should, for instance, should Christians attend same-sex marriages, this sort of thing. And you, and you have one very famous Bible preacher not long ago who mentioned, who, who back in the fall uh, gave some advice that's gone into great scrutiny and has kind of exploded here in the past few weeks. And that's why a lot of Christian leaders have talked about this. So I think I have a responsibility as your pastor to share what I, I think the biblical conviction here. Now, some of you may not agree with me on this, and uh, you know, that's, that's okay for you. I mean, if that's but I'm telling you, what, I, what I'm about to tell you is what I'm deeply convinced is the truth for every Christian. And that is that we should not attend a marriage that is a same-sex or transgender marriage. We should not attend because we are, we're celebrating that marriage, and we actually can't celebrate it because it's not even a marriage. You see, it's outside of God's design. That, that's, marriage is one way, man, woman, life. I mean, that's, that's what God said. That's what Jesus substantiated. And so to attend that, you know, no matter how well intended we may be in trying to encourage or, you know, say we're going to love and this kind of thing, um, I don't think we should do it. I think it sends the wrong message. Now, we, we are to be very kind. I have people I know involved in, in lifestyles that I love deeply, and I pray for them often. I'd do anything for them. If they called me, I'd be there to help them. And if I could possibly do it, I'd be there to help them. And, and I would show them love and grace. I, I, I'd do lots of different things to show my love for them. But I could not do that for them. I couldn't go to a, to a service like that and because I don't believe it's a marriage because it's not what God said marriage is no we're not doing anybody any favors when we compromise our convictions because if we truly believe the scripture says what it says and that those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of heaven if we love them we cannot condone that because we want them to eventually turn from that in repentance receive God's gracious forgiveness and restoration be reconciled to him rescued from that sin struggle that's what we want to see in their life
And if I compromise the truth of God, then I will never be able to be part of that happening. Matter of fact, I might even make it harder for them in repentance. And I'm going to tell you something. When it's somebody you deeply love, you know, I understand a struggle that somebody could be in. But we have to go back to the truth. We have to stand firm on the truth. To serve God, we must honor marriage in the way God designed marriage to be. Well, finally, we've been taught four things to show love. Now we're going to show what not to love. And that's what verse 5 says. Verse 5 and 6 teach us this, that we're to be content with what we have and do not love money. Now look in verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. That means without loving money, what money can get for you. But be content with such things as you have. <clears throat> for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we are to not have a love of money. And the way we do that is to have a contentment. Now, being content doesn't mean that you have to settle for the status quo and never seek to grow your portfolio and those kind of things. But it does mean you're never to love money. You're not, see, sometimes what gets us is we crave things. We want things, and money gets us things. So, therefore, we love money so we can get those things. And so, we will covet those things. But the Word of God says that godliness with contentment is great gain in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. He's dealing there with the sin of greed, this to be, this to be dealt with. What is it that brings about contentment in us? It's the fact the Lord is with us and will never leave us nor forsake us. I remember after I was converted, there were things I always wanted. I mean, I, you know, I had to have the latest, I wanted the latest and greatest, you know. And matter of fact, I'm going to tell you all something I didn't tell the last service. I was back in 1993, I was uh, a Dodge had just come out with a new body style Ram, you know, the anteater look, the rounded off hood, Cummins turbo diesel. And I thought, you know, I need one of those. I really do need one of those. I had a nearly brand new uh, Chevrolet Z71. And um, so I start praying about that. You know, I, that'd be a great. And I have two farm trucks. I already had an F-250 for the farm. And, I, you know, that'd be, I need that. I mean, good night. That's just a no-brainer. So I'm reading and praying about that. And I come across this verse, verse 5. Be content with such things as you have. It was just like the Spirit of God was saying, dummy. You keep what you got. But now I'll tell you what I did. I ignored that. And I went ahead and ordered that truck, and, you know, I had it for a year. And then, you know, God calls me to ministry, and I leave our jobs and had to sell my truck. So then we moved to Graceville. I had no vehicle for a whole year. If I had kept the other truck, I'd have had a vehicle. So I had to walk to school every day because I didn't listen to God. Now, when you tell that story, it sounds like, well, you had to walk to school. I just lived right across from the chapel. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I had to walk to school every day. And <clears throat> but, but anyway, 
be content. So when, when, the Lord, when the Lord changed me, He began to change a lot of that about me because a lot of the things that used to be so important to me began to pale in comparison to how now I knew I was rich in Christ. And, I, and I'll tell you this. He will not leave you, and He will not forsake you. You have a, a bad diagnosis, doctor's office can I tell you this he's with you he won't leave you you got a difficult situation going on in the family he's with you he won't leave you you got a major problem at work he won't leave you he's with you you got family situation going on this burden in you can I remind you of something he's with you and he won't leave you. He's our helper, the Word of God says. We're not to fear. What can anyone do to us? Our contentment is based on the constant presence of God in our lives. We serve God by being content and not loving money. So where are we with this? We're to serve God through Christian love and through contentment. And being faithful to Him means we're to love the family of God. We're to show hospitality. We're to care for those who are marginalized and they're out of sight and mistreated. We're to have strong, cultivated marriages. And we're to be content with the fact that He's with us. And He won't leave us nor forsake us. And maybe we just hadn't been there. <laughs> maybe we just hadn't been serving God in those areas and we need to get that right today. We need to ask Him to forgive us. We need to apply the truth of God, transform us. And there could be some in this room and online and you, you're listening to me this morning and you're saying, you know what I need? I need Jesus. I know I'm in sin I know that I'm separated from the Lord. I know that He died for my sins and He rose again and He'll save me if I call on Him today. And, and maybe you need to call on Him today. He'll change your life forever. He'll, and then guess what? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if you need to be saved today, will you meet me down front and say, I need to give my life to Jesus? Maybe we've messed up in an area we've talked about today. Well, you know what the Bible says? If we'll confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad even when sin has abounded, that grace abounds all the more when we turn to Him in repentance? And maybe that's what we need to do today. Let's pray and let's obey the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for this word. Thank You for how You spoke to me. I pray You've spoken to others now. Lord, help us to apply this. Help us to live this. I thank you for what you're going to do. Help us to do it, Lord, so we might serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.